Welcome. I'm Chris Majeski. I'm one of the pastors here. I'm so glad you chose to join us for worship. Here at ACC, we're all about leading people to experience new life in Jesus Christ. So my hope is that wherever you're watching this from, that you would encounter Jesus in a meaningful way and that you take steps closer to him. Uh, today, we're going to uh, do that through hearing uh, a message from God's word, through singing songs, and even through taking communion together. So uh, I've got two announcements for you. One is that uh, we are partnering with our, our friends in Honduras, uh, the ministry of El Ayudante. We've done a number of things with them in the past, and this time we're joining with them uh, for hurricane relief. Uh, you may be aware that uh, a pretty, pretty nasty hurricane uh, devastated that country a number of months ago, uh, and so we're joining with them to help uh, provide some relief, provide some, some help for families in need. Uh, specifically, we're going to be replacing roofs. Uh, there's a village of Buen Samaritano where most of the homes lost their roofs or they were severely damaged in that storm. And so we've set a goal of raising $3,000 uh, to help replace those roofs. Uh, we've just got one week to do it, and so it's a one-week deadline here, short goal, uh, short, short, uh, short timeline to, to reach this goal of $3,000. We've also got a generous donor from our church who's willing to match each donation dollar for dollar up to $3,000. So if we hit that goal of $3,000, it actually becomes $6,000, and so we can do a lot of good. We've got one week. Please consider joining that cause. Also want to make you aware we've got some good news that uh, we are making, uh, uh, bringing back some live elements of our services beginning next week, March 7th. We're making some changes to bring back those, those elements. It's been a long time of doing church online this way, uh, and we are excited to be able to start bringing back some live components. And so next Sunday, we're going to start by bringing back the sermon uh, live. So the other elements will be pre-recorded, um, but we're going to have sermons for now. Uh, we hope to bring back those other elements live as soon as possible. Uh, but for the time being, join us next Sunday, March 7th, for a live sermon. Uh, part of that process, in order for us to be able to offer an in-person service and a streaming service simultaneously, um, we're shifting to just offering one service at 1030. Uh, so a change for those of you who've attended 9 o'clock, um, but we hope that you'll make the adjustment in your schedule uh, and then join us for 1030 service so that we can join together as one church family to worship together. Well, now we're going to continue on in our worship service by singing some songs. Let's sing together. Only you provide cause 
Last week, we started a new sermon series exploring who God is. And as we were talking about the sermon series, we wanted to come up with a theme song, if you will, to tie each of the different weeks and the different attributes of God together. And Pastor Dave actually came up with the perfect song, the hymn, Holy, Holy, Holy. There are so many things that I love about this song. It not only calls us to reflect on the holiness of God and the other attributes that we can begin to apprehend, but it also acknowledges those aspects of God that we will never fully be able to comprehend. Pastor Dave talked about that last week. Probably one of the greatest examples of this in the song is its mention of the Trinity. One God in three persons, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Three distinct persons, and yet at the same time, one immutable God. It's impossible to fully wrap our minds around that. But as the song says, it's a blessed trinity. It's a blessing because it reveals to us that God has personality and that we can know him personally. And yet at the same time, he is also holy, completely separate, completely distinct, completely other than the rest of his creation. And Dave is going to talk about that a little bit more later on in the service. But possibly the most beautiful thing about this hymn to me is that it invites us not to initiate praise to God, but rather to join in an endless song of worship. In Isaiah 6 and Revelation 4, the authors recount visions that they had of heaven and heavenly beings. And these heavenly beings were continually declaring, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. So when we say these words, when we sing this song, we are not just entering into worship here and now, but we are joining in a song that spans across centuries and even into eternity. It is my prayer that as we sing this song throughout the coming weeks, we will not let the words grow old and tiresome, but that each week we will let them sink in and allow ourselves to wholeheartedly join in this endless song of praise to our knowable and yet incomprehensible God. Let's sing. Shall rise to 
God. There was a 2018 Gallup poll, and it determined that 87% of Americans affirmed that they believe in God. 87% of Americans affirm that they believe in God. Now, does that sound a little high to you? A few things we have to acknowledge, right? That a person can believe in God, but that doesn't mean they know him personally. They can believe in God as in he exists, but that doesn't mean that they trust in him uh, in their daily life. But what's also true is that if you said to a person, hey, okay, you believe in God, what do you mean by God? that you could get a lot of different answers. And in fact, many people um, that say they believe in God aren't using the word God as you and I would understand it. We believe that God has revealed himself, that God is knowable, and that he's revealed himself to us through his created world, nature, through the scriptures, and ultimately through his son, Jesus Christ. And last week, we acknowledged the fact that because God is infinite and we are finite, we cannot possibly comprehend God. We can apprehend him and definitely be confident of knowing what his character is like, but we can't fully wrap our brains around God. And to that extent, he will always be a mystery. And so each week, our teaching series will focus on a different attribute of God. And today, it's a twofer, all right? Twofer, the price of one. We're going to be looking at the fact that God is personal and God is triune, all right? God is personal and God is triune. And so let's start out by just briefly looking at the truth that God is personal. And to understand what we mean by this, it would be helpful to start by looking at the negative, by looking at the opposite of God being personal. So let me say this. First of all, God is not an impersonal force. Think on this one, think Star Wars, right? Where the force is all around you, it flows through you, blah, blah, blah. It's, it's very nebulous. It's very fuzzy, abstract. It's like, what are you talking about, right? But just this idea that God is a pulsating celestial force field, that he's uh, an impersonal force. God is not that. But many people use the phrase, use the word God, and that's what they're talking about. Secondly, God is not a subjective idea. I've heard so many people say, well, you know, when you start talking about theological things, they'll say, well, to me, God is this, or God is that, right? And God is this subjective idea. But would you do that for any other person? Would you say, well, to me, Dave Corlew is a young uh, mother, or to me, Dave Corlew is a chubby little boy. It's like, 
You can't do that. Dave Corlew is an objective reality, right? I am what I am. You've got to deal with it. You can't make up your own Dave Corlew. And that's the way it is with God. You can't say, well, to me, God is this. Well, to me, God is that. And, you know, your opinion's as valid as my opinion. God is an objective reality. He's revealed himself how he truly is. So he's not that. And then lastly, God is not an ultimate value. Another way to phrase it is to um, see God as simply being the greatest good. And so you see, to many people, when they use the word God, they're talking about beauty or love or pleasure or family or even money. But whatever is the highest value, the greatest good in their life, uh, that's what they label as God. Now, in contrast to these false notions, when we speak of God as followers of Jesus Christ, as Christians, when we speak of God as being personal, we mean that God has a personality. I didn't say God is human, but God has a personality. And you see, because we are created in his image, we are personal beings as well. We have a personality. God has a personality, and that allows us to connect with him relationally. Now, it takes three things to have a personality. It takes an intellect, emotions, and a will. Intellect, emotions, and a will. That's true. We have that, and God has that because God is personal. Now, the ultimate revelation of God, again, is found in his son, Jesus Christ. So just briefly, let's see these qualities clearly displayed in Jesus. And these are just a couple of quick examples. And we could go in the Old Testament with God the Father and see plenty of examples. And so we're just doing a quick overview of this, okay? But first of all, to be a personal being, you need an intellect. And and look at this about the life of Christ. First of all, Luke chapter 2, Jesus is 12 years old. Him and his parents have gone to Jerusalem to um, celebrate the Passover. And uh, Jesus uh, goes into the temple and starts talking with the religious leaders. Uh, His parents, in the meantime, leave town, don't realize he's not in their caravan. They've lost him. They've got to come back to town to find him. And we pick it up in verse 45. When they couldn't find him, they went back to Jerusalem to search for him there. Three days later, they finally discovered him in the temple, sitting among the religious leaders, listening to them and asking questions. All who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. As a 12-year-old, he was baffling the religious leaders of his day with his intellect. And then Luke 2, verse 52, a summary of Jesus as he entered adolescence. It says that Jesus grew in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and all people. He was growing intellectually, wisdom, stature, physically, in favor with God, spiritually, and with all people, socially. But you see the intellect that Christ had. Secondly, emotions. To be a person, you have to have emotions. John 11, verse 35, we read simply, then Jesus wept. When he lost one of his best friends, Lazarus, he was heartbroken. Jesus wept. He experienced grief and sorrow. And then in Mark 3, verse 5, it says, he looked around at them angrily and was deeply saddened by their hard hearts. And so Jesus displayed and felt anger, grief, 
sorrow. He had emotions like you and I experience. And then finally, Jesus had a will. He was a volitional being. Uh, One example, Luke 9, verse 51. As the time drew near for him to ascend to heaven, Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem. He resolutely set out for Jerusalem. He knew his destiny. He knew the mission God had sent him on to die in Jerusalem. And so he set his face like flint and he moved resolutely. That was his will. He willed himself to accomplish his father's purposes in this world. And so God is a person. So we can have a personal relationship with him since God the Father created us with personalities as well. Now, let me remind you that for a person to truly have a relationship with God, they must first be in Christ. They must have crossed the line of faith so that they can come alive spiritually. The walls between them and God can be torn down and they can have that connection with him. So to experience that personal relationship, you need to have crossed the line of faith and trusted in Christ. Otherwise, we're estranged from him because of our sin. And so in this growing relationship that you and I have the potential to have with God, what does it take for a relationship? at the human level as well as uh, uh, vertically between us and God? Well, it takes two things. It takes interaction and time. Interaction, just the idea you've got to communicate with the person. You've got to interact with them and get to know them and observe them and listen to them and watch them. And secondly, it takes time. There's no substitute for time. The longer you know a person, the more you can grow to trust them, the more you can grow to love them. And that's what it takes spiritually with us and God. It takes interaction through his word, through prayer, through fellowship, and it takes time. Over the months and years, your relationship will grow. And so here's the application from the truth that God is a person. God is a person, so I will develop my relationship with God. I'll intentionally live my life to where I'm going to know God better a year from now Uh, than what I do at this very moment. And we have that capability if we choose to live our lives in that way. So God is personal. Now, secondly, I want to talk about the truth that God is triune. When we say God is triune, we acknowledge that we believe in one God existing in three persons, the Father and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. This is historical Orthodox Christian belief. We sang the song today and last week, Holy, 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 Merciful and Mighty, God in three persons, Blessed Trinity. Someone has once said regarding the doctrine of the Trinity, try to explain it and you'll lose your mind, but try to deny it and you'll lose your soul. Well, are you ready to lose your mind? Probably the most intellectually challenging doctrine in the Bible is the doctrine of God being a triune God. Now, the best definition, I think, or uh, and probably the best known definition for the Trinity comes from the writings of St. Augustine, who lived back at the end of the 4th century, beginning of the 5th century. And look what he wrote. He said this, 
There are the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and each is God. And at the same time, all are one God, and each of them is a full substance. And at the same time, all are one substance. The Father is neither the Son nor the Holy Spirit, and the Son is neither the Father nor the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit is neither the Father nor the Son. But the Father is the Father uniquely, and the Son is the Son uniquely, and the Holy Spirit is the Holy Spirit uniquely. All three have the same eternity, the same immutability, the same majesty, and the same power. Now, there's three biblical truths for understanding, or maybe a better term would be apprehending, the doctrine of the Trinity, and they are as follows. Okay, number one, there is one God. The Bible uh, is extremely clear on this, that there is but one true God. Deuteronomy 6, verse 4, says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And this stood in stark contrast to the rampant polytheism that surrounded the nation of Israel in that day. Uh, Israel stood out because they alone believed in one single God. God is one. Now, the second biblical truth for apprehending the doctrine of the Trinity is this. The Bible clearly teaches the deity of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Each in the pages of Scripture are given worship, which should only be due to God. Each are ascribed divine attributes of God, and each are actually spoken of as being God. We could turn to verses in the Bible all day long on this point. I'm just giving you like one or two examples for each, okay? First of all, the Father, and that's the most obvious. The Father, God, I think of the prayer of Jesus in Matthew 6, verse 9, where he addresses him and says, Our Father in heaven, may your name be kept holy. Only God is holy. God is in heaven. God is the Father. So uh, the Father is true deity. It's also true of the Son. Look at the beginning of Peter's second letter, 2 Peter 1, verse 1. He wrote, this letter is from Simon Peter, a slave and apostle of Jesus Christ. I am writing to you who share the same precious faith we have. This faith was given to you because of the justice and fairness of Jesus Christ, our God and Savior. And so from the very beginning, Jesus uh, was recognized. From the very beginning of the church, Jesus was recognized as truly being God. It was essential for Christianity to be true. It was based upon his deity. He was recognized for that. And then lastly, the deity of the Holy Spirit. I take you to 2 Corinthians 3, verse 17. It says, For the Lord is the Spirit, and wherever the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And so the Lord, the name for God, for the Lord is the Spirit. Lastly, the third biblical truth that helps us in apprehending the Trinity that the Bible clearly teaches is that the three are one. The Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit are 
one. It's a triunity. There's a number of New Testament allusions. Let me take you to just a few. First of all, to the baptism of Jesus in Matthew chapter 3. It says, after his baptism, as Jesus came up out of the water, the heavens were opened and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and settling on him. And a voice from heaven said, this is my dearly loved son who brings me great joy. So in one scene, you see all three members of the Trinity. Jesus is in the water being baptized. The Holy Spirit is descending upon him in the form of a dove. And there's a voice from heaven, the Father, saying, this is my son, I love him so much. Look at John 14. Jesus is speaking. And in verse 16, he says, I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate who will never leave you. He is the Holy Spirit who leads into all truth. So right there, you have Jesus talking, Jesus praying. He's talking about asking the Father God about sending the advocate, which is the Holy Spirit, all three members of the Trinity. And then in what we uh, often call the Great Commission at the end of the Gospel of Matthew, Jesus speaks and says, Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name. And note, name is singular. It doesn't say the names of. It says singularly, the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And then the last example is a verse of scripture that we often use here at ACC as our benediction at the close of our service. 2 Corinthians 13, verse 14. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. And so you see right there in this threefold benediction, you have uh, Lord Jesus Christ, God, the Father, and the Holy Spirit as a part of this blessing. Now, all these things are taught, and these things are hard to understand with our finite minds. And so some, even though it's clearly taught in Scripture, and by the way, the word Trinity is never used in the Bible. I'll be straight up about that, okay? There's no description of God calling him a triune God. Uh, I, straight up using that terminology. But the teaching is clear. God is one. Uh, the deity is ascribed to Father, Son, Holy Spirit, and those three are one. But many people um, over the course of the centuries have struggled with it, and so they've come to the conclusion that uh, the doctrine of the Trinity is incoherent. It's illogical. But it's led those people who've come to those kind of conclusions to develop some really bad teaching some um, heretical teaching. Uh, just to give you an example of how this can go off rail and, and you can have uh, a wrong teaching about this, the two most notable heresies regarding the doctrine of the Trinity are what are commonly called dynamic monarchianism, also called adoptionism, and modal monarchianism, uh, which is often shortened and just called modalism. Uh, monarch. Both of these are a type of monarchianism. The word monarch is a Greek term that means a single principle, a single principle. And so these teachings stress 
one God, one principle, one God, that they stress the divine unity, but to the exclusion of the personal distinctions in the Godhead of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. So just a, a real quick explanation of these two historical heresies. Uh, dynamic monarchianism, also called adoptionism, simply believed this, that Jesus was fully human, no different than you or I. He was the son of Mary and Joseph. But as a reward for his excellent moral virtue, God adopted him, and God infused within him the divine so that he would be a great teacher, so that he could perform great miracles. And so uh, this human, Jesus, experienced divinity, but not because he was equal in essence with the Father, but because God adopted him and gave him these qualities. And so his divinity was functional. Uh, it was kind of like the idea of being bestowed with superpowers. You weren't born with them. They weren't inherently yours, but somebody infused superpowers within you uh, once the adoption took place. And so uh, that view falls way short of what the Bible teaches. Now, the other heresy was called modal monarchianism or modalism. And this one taught that there was one God who will manifest himself differently over the course of the centuries and over the course of different situations, different circumstances, uh, differently as needed as the circumstances dictated. And uh, this God would transform himself and would appear in different modes. And so he might be the father in one setting, he might be the sun in a different century. He might be the Holy Spirit at a different time or in a different place. It was the same God, but he would just appear in different ways. And so it would be very similar to us today speaking of a woman, one woman who could be a teacher. She could be a mom. She could be a daughter. And so this one person manifests themselves depending on their setting in different ways. They could be a teacher, they could be a mom, they could be a daughter, and that, that's how God was viewed. But again, that's not the biblical teaching. We believe in the mystery of one God existing in three persons, Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And so here's the practical application for you and I as we wrap things up, thinking about God is triune. God is triune, so we will rest in the incomprehensible and commit to live in community. So this is a two-part application, okay? The first, we will rest in the incomprehensible. We have to be comfortable with mystery. Being mindful of finite us versus infinite God. And I've got to tell you, I personally take comfort in the fact that I don't fully understand God. I mean, how impressive would God be if we fully understood him? If we totally understood God, how big of a God would he be? To me, it only makes sense that if God is, is truly the supreme being, the infinite God, of course he's going to be beyond my grasp. And so this doctrine of the Trinity, we can believe this the, the scriptures teach it. It's hard to understand, but that's okay. We rest in the mystery that is God. And then second application is that we commit as a result of the fact that God is a triune God. We commit to live in community. Here's why. Because God is a person 
And that means he's capable of a relationship. And in the Trinity, there has been an eternal relationship of fellowship, of communication, of love, of unity within the Godhead of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. And that's the pattern for us as a church, that we are to mimic the pattern set by the triune God, that we together need to experience fellowship and communication and love and unity. That's the kind of church that our triune God wants to have because when we have a relationship like that, it reflects the glory of God to a world that needs to understand what God is like. And so I hope we're committed, just as the Godhead does, to live in community, to be unified, to be loving to each other. Next week, I hope you'll be back. Uh, We're going to be looking at God is holy. It's an incredible attribute of God. God is holy. What does that mean? And what does it mean for you and I as a result of that truth? Well, uh, Chris was talking about it earlier in the service, but I couldn't end today without saying, folks, let's crush our goal of $3,000 for Honduras roofs, okay? I would like us to raise that money today, that now, get on your phone, get on your laptop, get online, make that donation now. I'd like us to reach our goal today, Sunday. Now, it is open all week, okay? So if you don't have time or whatever today, that's cool, but do that, and we'll uh, reach that goal, and in a very tangible way, we'll express the love of Christ um, uh, to those who are in tremendous need. Okay, so let's do it together. Thanks, Dave. And now we get to experience this personal, triune, communal God through the act of communion. We get to experience the personal God through communion because we are focusing on the very act that allows us to have a personal relationship with him. You see, sin disobeying him, uh, going against him, that separates us from him. Uh, It hurts our relationship with him. However, He dealt with that sin by sending Jesus on the cross. When Jesus gave up his life on the cross, which is what we're remembering during communion, when he did that, he was removing the sin from us and putting it on Jesus, and that allows us to reconnect and have a personal relationship with God. We get to experience his trinity because we get to think about and experience all three persons of God. We get to focus on what the Son Jesus has done on the cross. And he did that uh, according to the will of the Father because of the Father's love for you and me. And then when we place our faith in him and place our faith in his act on the cross, we now get his spirit comes into us and, and lives in us and we get to experience him in all these ways. And so that's what we're about to do right now during communion. Uh, and so you're going to need to grab a few things. You're going to need to grab uh, a bread-like substance to represent Jesus' body uh, and then a juice or a wine-like substance to represent Jesus' blood. Uh, so you have a minute to go do that now.
And so, as you know, in the coming weeks, me and my wife Elizabeth are moving to Michigan. And as every great pastor does in his last uh, pastoral act uh, with his church, he quotes a country song. Uh, And so Rascal Flatts, a very popular country artist, they have a song off their uh, last album that they uh, put out. And the line says, it's not if, it's how they remember you. Uh, And so I hope that you remember me as someone who was all about Jesus and all about you. I hope you remember me as someone who loved Jesus and loved being with you. But what's way more important than how you remember me is how you remember Jesus. And that's what communion is all about, is remembering who Jesus is and what he's done. And so we are about to, to take communion and we're going to focus on remembering Jesus as the one who loved us and gave himself for us. It's interesting to think about how God didn't have to save us from our sin. He didn't have to do something about it, but he chose to. He chose to send his son Jesus. He chose to send his his son Jesus to the cross. And Jesus uh, didn't have to obey, maybe, but he did because he was in sync with the Father, uh, because him and the Father are one. Uh, But he chose to go to the cross. Why would he choose to do that? Why would God choose to send his son Jesus? Why would Jesus choose to suffer a brutal death on the cross? Because he loves you, because he wanted to deal with your sin, because he knew you couldn't. And so in this time of communion, we're remembering that he loved us and gave himself for us. When he gave himself on the cross, it was a voluntary act to save you and I from our sin and to reunite us with our Heavenly Father. And so that's good news, and that's how we're going to remember Jesus. We're going to remember him as the one who loved us and gave himself for us. So let's pray as we remember him. Father, thank you for loving us. Thank you for sending your son Jesus to give his life up for us in our place. I pray for everyone watching this right now, as everyone taking part in this communion, uh, that we can really, really focus on your son Jesus right now, that uh, we admit our sin before him, that we are wrong, we are sinful, we have disobeyed you, and we do not deserve your love. We do not deserve a personal relationship with you, but you loved us and you wanted to give that to us. You wanted to forgive us. You want a relationship with us. So you sent your son Jesus to do something about it. I thank you for that. I pray for the bread. I pray for this symbol of Jesus's body that was, that was given for us on the cross. I pray for this uh, cup that we're about to take that represents his blood that was shed for the forgiveness of sins. Thank you for your son Jesus. Thank you that you sent him. Thank you that he loves us and that he gave himself for us. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. So let's take the bread. And on the night he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took some bread and gave thanks to God for it. Then he broke it in pieces and said, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, he took the cup of wine after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant between God and his people an agreement confirmed with my blood. Do this in remembrance of me as often as you drink it. For every time we, we eat this bread and drink this cup, you are announcing the Lord's death until he comes again.
Father 
We worship through song, through the hearing of God's word, and even through communion. And we're going to continue our worship now with the act of giving. So you can go online to give, or you can mail a check in to the church, but I encourage you to consider how you can join the ministry that God is doing through financial means. Would you join me now as I pray for our offering? Father, I thank you for this morning and this chance to gather. I thank you for your church and how, uh, even though we are separate, we can be together. And I thank you for uh, the, the fact that you are continuing to do good things in our church, in our community, and around the world, that this pandemic has not stopped you. And so as we give now, Lord, we ask that you would bless these gifts, that you would multiply them, that you would use them to accomplish your purposes. Father, thank you for this opportunity to join you in advancing your kingdom. In Jesus' name, amen. And now receive the benediction. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Spirit be with you all. Go in peace. Serve him.